to start slow and get to know the medium because it is different than graphite and charcoal. It's its own specific thing. So start in black and white, start with simple subjects and get to know the like waxy quality of the pencils or whatever pencil brand you choose. Try a few different brands and a few different papers because every colored pencil artist is going to have a preference. And there's beautiful work that can be created with almost any high quality brand of pencil and paper combination. But you've got to find what works for you. And then another thing I would say that's so important is to... Today's podcast is brought to you by Member Circle, part of the monthly Sharpener community. Inside Member Circle, you get the rough cut, longer play versions of the podcast. This particular podcast with Megan Sider actually went on for about 20 more minutes. There's some of the pre-interview chat available inside that video version. Big shout out to all of you who are part of Member Circle. We appreciate you so much. And of course, we appreciate the questions that you all pose for each new guest on the podcast over there in Member Circle. All right, let's get to the interview with Megan Sider. The Sharpened Artist Color Pencil Podcast. Inspiration and innovation. We're talking everything you want to know about this medium that we love so much. And we're your hosts, John Middick and Barb Sodiropoulos. Hey there, welcome back to the show. My name is John Middick of sharpenedartist.com and thank you again for coming out here and joining us another week on the podcast. So today I'm so excited to introduce my guest to you. I'm going to be talking with Megan Sider and I could spend a lot of time talking about all the awards that she has accumulated through the years. Her work is very different though if you're not familiar with it. She does a lot of still lifes, but the setting and how she handles shadows and reflections, I think is very unique. She's been in Ann Kohlberg's Color Magazine, Color Pencil Magazine, American Art Collector, Southwest Art, uh, Best of Drawing. You also, you've been in the Drawing Magazine too, right? Back when that was a magazine? Yeah, I was. In 2013, I think it was. Yep. Uh, So you've been at this for a little bit of time, right? Southwest Art, International Artist Magazine. I could go on and on. Um, Welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's rewind the tape. Let's talk about what got you started with colored pencil. I know you have a BFA, right? I do. Uh, Yeah. I I discovered colored pencils in college, but I I do have a background in art from when I was like a baby, you know, little, little kid. Yeah. Yeah. Mom was an artist. And even when I was a baby, she was teaching calligraphy at UMass Dartmouth and she'd strap me in and take me to her classes. And <laughs> at Dartmouth, um, huh? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. When I was little, she opened a printing business. Okay. Um, so she had her own shop that was right near our elementary school. And I would walk there after school and I had access to all of her papers and all of her tools. And I got her hand me downs, which were artist quality, like yeah. pencils and markers and whatever she was using. So it's been in me from the start. Wow. She had a huge community of artist friends that became sort of like aunts and uncles to me, calligraphers and bookbinders, illustrators, and they would be at my birthday parties and, you know, all kinds of things. But also I got to sort of take these one-on-one classes with them. And there, yeah, there was a love from the very beginning. Yeah. So were you doing calligraphy then as a child? Yeah, she, um, my mom came to our elementary school and taught a class and then she would teach me. I've always loved letters. I think Mm. not in the degree that she does. We would go to uh, graveyards and she would do, um, you know, you put a piece of paper over the gravestone and, and, uh, what's it called? Graffito or what is it? Is that what you're talking about? Like you get the imprint? Yes, exactly. But she's a beautiful calligrapher and she would do little gouache, um, paintings with her calligraphy. And then she let me start, you know, joining in on her calligraphy exhibits. So I had, when I was maybe 12, I had something in an exhibit that was a calligraphy piece that I did. I'm sure it was not great, (laughs) but, um, but it gave me that experience early on of um, being part of an exhibit and being part of a community of artists, which made a big difference. So at 18, there was no question, like you're, you're just going to go to art school. Is that right? Um, So I, 
was not going to go to art school. I wanted to go to a oh. liberal arts college that oh. with a focus in studio art. I didn't know what it took to, to run a business like my mom did, but I knew it took something more than just knowing about art. I knew there was right. some kind of, you needed some kind of other knowledge. So I wanted to have a well-rounded education with a focus in art. So I ended mm -hmm. up going to mm -hmm. Hobart and William Smith colleges and I studied abroad for a semester in Italy. And during that time, I thought, this is silly because I just, I'm going to be an artist. So I need to go to art school. So I ended up transferring to Maryland Institute College of Art. And that's where I have my degree from. So you were thinking, I'll, I'll figure out the business side, right? As I move along and, and do yeah, all of this. Yeah, at right? least Obviously. take some classes that would be helpful, you know, mm -hmm. business, whatever they might be, um, which didn't right. end up happening because I was just trying to take all of the studio art classes. And then, of course, once you go to art school, they don't offer a whole ton of business classes or, you know, <laughs> right. it's all art, which is wonderful. But um, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what did your dad do? Yeah, my dad was an accountant when I was little, and then he realized it was not for him. And he left mm. that and he took a job at Home Depot and he started buying houses and just redesigning the houses by himself. I mean, he's had two or three houses for like 20 years and really beautifully piece by piece redesigning them, doing everything himself. Any perfectionism wow. that I have in me, I think comes from him. Very cool. So you, you go back and you just decide, okay, I'm going to study art though, because that's what I want to do. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In high school, I had discovered that there were figure drawing classes in Providence. I'm from Rhode mm -hmm. Island. So I would attend these drawing classes after school once every couple of weeks. And I loved the figure and I loved working with charcoal and graphite. So my experience was mostly working black and white charcoal or graphite and figures or faces oh. when I started college. And yeah. then when I went to MICA, I took a class called color and composition because color seems the next natural step for me. It's a right. whole, it's like adding a whole other dimension. And right. we were welcome to use anything. We could do watercolor, gouache, markers, pencils, wh whatever we chose. We could pick the medium. And I had a, a box of hand-me-down Prismacolors from my mom. And I thought, oh, I'll give that a try. So my first colored pencil drawing was, I didn't realize how labor intensive they are. So it was mm. big and it was mm -hmm. of these salt and pepper shakers and a honey jar and like lots of speckles in the honey jar. And I went to town and it took forever. Um, I had no idea what I was doing and what I was getting into, but sort of in the process fell in love with colored pencil. And then I just, it, it's just been colored pencil since then. <laughs> oh, wow. So that one yeah. class was mostly where I discovered the colored pencil. And then, you know, in future classes, my major was general fine arts, which I chose to do that rather than illustration or drawing, because it gave us the freedom to take whatever kind of classes we wanted. It was just oh, a free range. Huh? Yeah. 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 So oh. I was able to use colored pencil in several of the classes. I tried acrylics. I tried oil. I love them. But something about the precision of the colored pencil was so alluring and nobody knew anything about colored pencils. Um, like the one professor where I started using colored pencils said, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in this, but let's talk about the composition, trying to navigate her way around, not knowing much about that. So mm. I went to, um, Micah is in Baltimore and they have this big, beautiful library. So I remember going to the library and looking for books on colored pencil, which there were some, but mostly what I... Year, what year are we talking about? So this was... Um, I graduated in 2009, so this is probably 2007 or 8. Okay. okay yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, didn't find a whole lot. So I just um, not much. Yeah, struggled then. my way through figuring out how to use them, accidentally burnishing and then putting too much pencil on the wrong kind of paper and the, the top layer of the paper would flake off. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a lot of trial and error, but I loved them from the start. That's interesting. So you never wavered. You just were all into color pencil, huh? Yeah. You tried I, these other mediums and you're just like, no. Yeah, well, wow. not necessarily no. I love I love doing oils. Um, okay. I tried pastels. They were a little bit chunky for me. Um, you okay. know, you couldn't get that fine detail, even with the pastel right. pencils. Um, yeah. Watercolor is really interesting, but I don't know a ton about it. So when I retire, maybe I'll try all these different things. But for now, I just I just love colored pencil so much that it it won above all the other uh, things. Yeah, I tried. sculpture I tried, graphic design, illustration. You know, I did all of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Were you about the only one in your peer group that you knew of in college that was using colored pencil? 
Yeah, or nobody, were there others? Nobody else. Um, there yeah. were some that were doing like graphite and charcoal drawings, but it was a lot yeah. of painting, a lot of sculpture. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so I I didn't know anybody else that was doing. I mean, there was the Color Pencil Society of America, which I discovered, but in my within my mm-hmm. class, I was yeah, I was uh, on my own. Was there a focus on realism or w- within a lot of your uh, classes, or was it? Uh, I think really not fundamental teaching or I don't know. I there mean, was a lot of fun, fundamental teaching and I, was, because okay. I could kind of create my own curriculum. I, yeah. I was drawn to the, those courses. So but you pursued them. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. And I still was doing figure and portrait classes because just, um, I just loved the human body and the human face. Mm-hmm. There's so much, uh, variety and interest in those for me. Um, oh, I agree. but yeah, yeah, I've always been drawn toward realism. But, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Very cool. So you finished college and what, so what do you do? I mean, do you yeah. just, what, what did you do? So I graduated in 2009 and my roommate from my first college, Hobart and William Smith was from California. My mom's originally also from California. So I had been here to visit and she said, why don't you come um, live here? So I thought, well, that sounds great. And that's a great place to sort of establish an art career. So uh, we did a road trip out to California and I've been here ever since. Okay. What part is that? Uh, Northern California. So I moved to Oakland. I'm still just right up the road from where I used to live, but I set up a little studio in her house and took a job at a restaurant so I could get my socializing in and have a sort of financial (laughs) stability. And then, yeah, I just, I've been at it since then. Were you were you serving? Were you uh, waiting tables? I was. Yep, I was serving. Yeah, okay. um, that's where I met my husband, who's a chef. Um, so uh, nice. I met him soon thereafter. But I I was serving up until um, the pandemic. Really, I was working at a restaurant called Chez Panisse, um, which mm. has the most beautiful produce, and they just get the um, the cream of the crop from all of the farms. So it was like eye candy for me, and the flowers that are there are absolutely beautiful. So it was really nice to have. Wow that sort of visual inspiration um, yeah. and then to come home and draw whatever I had been inspired by seeing at Chez Panisse. That's so neat. I've heard that that's a really great job for, for artists anyway, is to uh, have a serving job. It's so uh, great. Cause, Cause you can it, make good tips, yeah. you know, I mean, good it's tips, like, but also it's so solitary when you're in the studio, you're just by yeah, yourself you're talking and to people nonstop as a server. Right? It is. I do miss that aspect of it, but I'm grateful to have uh, this full-time art career now you know going so that changed during the pandemic in it did yeah because all the restaurants yeah. closed down my husband and i were both unemployed we no. had a little yeah two-year-old what did he do you're married to a chef i mean what what did he do then yeah there was nothing to do he was working for he was a head chef for a company that ended up folding a few months into the pandemic oh my and then there's just scary no restaurants were open yeah it was kind of yeah. um a little bit of a stressful time, but really great to have a family time as well. We tried to make the most of it. And yeah. then I started just spending a lot of time in the studio and mm-hmm. I decided not to go back to the restaurant when it, it just recently reopened only a couple months ago. So, um, but I'm so happy that there was a silver lining in, in all of that and that I, you know, went to full-time art. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. The pandemic just kind of accelerated some of our goals i think in a lot of ways like just push people in directions where we might have been uncomfortable but still in some ways it's been good yeah Uh, it has has for me anyway and i think for a lot of people yeah yeah i think if there's ever a time you know now's the time because you're already unemployed (laughs) you might might as well give it a go yeah thinking back about that what did you do differently then you're sitting at home and you could mope around and whine and cry right <laughs> yeah and you might have done that a little bit but yeah. i'm just saying if, if you think back about it though what did you do differently then with that time i mean did you just buckle down and like okay i'm just going to get some work done i'm going to create some art pieces i did um, yeah with yeah, with the encouragement you, of my husband but um yeah the wonderful thing was you know i was working and my husband was working and we had a baby up you know up until he yeah. i think he was like two when the pandemic started so because my husband was unemployed, he was able to watch our son and I got 
that extra time in the studio yeah. that I hadn't yeah. previously had. I mean, I had it during nap times and bedtime, but, but that's not um, much time. Yeah, it's not much time. Yeah, and, and you know, you're exhausted, especially if you're on your feet yeah. all day serving people, and then you've got a baby. Yeah, that's exhausting. Yeah, so I just because I had that time, I started getting into it, and then the more I, time I had, and the more I was able to draw, the more the passion kind of came back, and I just kept wanting more and more and then it turned into this full-time career which is great was it kind of dormant i mean you said that the passion kind of came back were, were you because you just weren't able to produce as much you were just kind of yeah. it was hit and miss kind of yeah, thing. there there were a good chunk of years so um i in 2013 that's i had moved to california was trying to get my career going and somebody contacted me and i i was published in drawing magazine which was like out of the blue amazing but yeah. then sort of life happens. I met my husband, we got married, we bought a house and then we had our son. Right. So yeah, it was dormant yeah, for busy a with life. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a, you know, that's part of, you know, that's life. That's how it happens. Yeah. But right. um, yeah, especially I thought when I was pregnant, I would have all this time to do art and it doesn't, it doesn't work out that way because it's exhausting. <laughs> so it was more a matter of just like starting a family and all of that. When did you join the CPSA? I think I joined in 2010, maybe, and it was such oh. a lifeline because they were such a champion for colored pencil art and really right. trying to get it out there. But right. in terms of like galleries in the fine art world, I think still it's a little bit the case that colored pencil is not um, high up there on the priority list. No, right. And they do a, such a great job of creating a community for colored pencil artists and Absolutely. Um, kind of getting the word out to the world. So when I discovered them, I thought, uh, what a, an amazing group. And I was so glad to mm -hmm. meet other colored pencil artists. And I joined the district chapter and I started, you know, um, applying to their annual exhibits and met some really great contacts through those exhibits. There was one in um, in California that I was able to attend. So that was a, oh wow, yeah, yeah. an amazing organization to sort of yeah. find and join. There's a district chapter in Oakdale? Um, th right I think there? it's technically San Jose. It's the 210 chapter. Okay. Uh -huh. okay. Um, so I joined that. And then, yeah, again, during my dormant years, I, I was not um, super active in that. And then when I started up again, and it was probably 2018 or 19 when I you know oh, okay. started getting back yeah. into it, um, rejoined and discovered there's also the International Guild of Realism and American mm -hmm. Women Artists. And all these organizations are so helpful and so um, community driven and, uh, yeah, great. Great right. resource. <laughs> I love it that colored pencil is uh, being recognized more and more in organizations that are pushing for uh, realism. That's so cool. I love Absolutely. That. Yeah. And I think it's um, it's great to be a colored pencil artist now because it is starting to be recognized in that sort yeah. of higher fine Sorry. art gallery world, but it's not yep. all the way there yet. So there yep. is something that unique that you can bring to a gallery or to a show because people are still amazed about what you can do with colored pencils right. rather than it being a crutch it's kind of an exciting time to be a colored pencil artist i think yeah i agree yeah what so you brought up something interesting then what do you feel like is sort of the unique thing that you're bringing to colored pencil uh, one of the unique things about my work is the paper that I use, I think, and finish that it brings. So I know a lot of artists are nervous to try sanded paper because it's uh -huh. so different. And um, right. it does take a long time, but it gives a very unique finish and quality to your work um, yeah. that is well worth the effort for me. When I first started on colored pencil, my first colored pencil drawing, I chose the completely wrong paper. I don't know what it was, but it was flaking off and it couldn't hold. It didn't hold a lot of layers. It didn't have enough tube. I don't know what it was, but it was wrong. And it was terrible. <laughs> and I realized really quickly how important the paper surface is. So yeah. I did some experimentation and I, I loved layering right from the start. Just really light layers is how mm. I just, yeah. I think naturally that's what was in me and that's how I was going to work. So um, early on, I discovered it was Colorfix uh, sanded pastel paper. I don't mm -hmm. think Hansen was making their Metian's Touch at the time. Mm -hmm. um, or, or I, I did that see one it. too. Yeah. yeah. Did you like that one as well? I, that's that's what I work on these days. Yeah. The, the that's Metian's, what you work on these days. It okay. is. Yeah. The Metian's Touch. But yeah, discovering okay. the the sanded pastel paper that can hold a billion layers. You can just layer yeah. until you're, I mean, it can't really, but. It could hold like 20 layers. Um, yeah. And I Maybe think a million. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that um, 
the combination of my technique of just really light layers um, combined with that sanded pastel paper in terms of the finish of the drawings, I think that's what's maybe unique about my work. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. In terms of the composition, I really do focus in on whatever object I'm drawing. And the background is always really minimal because there's mm -hmm. such beauty in it's it's almost like um, I'm doing a portrait of uh, a flower or fruit or vegetables, yeah. whatever it is, because each, um, I don't know, each lemon or apple or flower, even if there's another one right next to it, that's the same variety is so unique in its own way. And I think the attention that I bring to that specific flower is um, what's interesting. You can tell that I've... Mm. Hopefully, the hope is that if you yeah. look at the drawing, you could tell that I've spent a long time looking at this thing and um, looking at its individuality, the specific curves of the um, the fruit or whatever it is, the specific colors. So anyway. <laughs> you feel like you're drawing a, a portrait of this flower or fruit or whatever. And is, it, is that the reason why you're naming these uh, human names a lot of times? Is that or tell me, why why do you do that? Yeah, the names come from um, just whoever. Sometimes there's somebody that's been on my mind while I've been making the oh, drawing. Okay. Sometimes oh. there's somebody that I've been inspired by, you know, during that period of time. The drawings take me quite a while to finish. So, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the few weeks or however long I've spent on it, um, yeah. if there was someone on my mind or someone that has inspired me, someone that affected me in some way, I think that comes through to the drawing. So, it's not like I'm naming the fruit or the flower, but <laughs> um, yeah, the name comes from whatever source of inspiration uh, okay, was with me okay. at the time. Mm -hmm. I got you. Okay. So we're not naming soccer balls or anything. Right, right. <laughs> no. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so th the other thing I, I guess I, I'm really curious about then is the, the materials. You're talking about using a sanded surface. But you're only using one type of sanded surface. So did you try a lot of different surfaces? And then you're just like, I like this sanded surface in particular, that touch. Yeah. Taunt's touch. You're just like, no, this is the one for me. Tried all those others, and this is the one that I like. Is that what you did? Pretty much, yeah. So um, I started with a color fix uh, sanded pastel paper. And for 10 years, any any drawing that I did was on that paper. And then um, when I sort of in 2018 or 19, when I kind of took up art again, I thought it's been a long time. I haven't done research on what papers are out there, what new okay. you know types of yeah. pencils are out there. I just um, so I ordered a whole bunch of I tried UART, I tried um, mm -hmm. pastel mat, all kinds of different surfaces. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I discovered the Canson Metans Touch paper, um, which is a little bit more consistent, I think, uh, in terms of the texture than the color fix. Um, and it, yeah. I think it's the roughest sort of of the bunch of sanded surfaces, um, which does yeah. take a long time. But you can do light on top of dark. You can do dark on top of light. You can use the slice tool with it. You can use yeah. pastel on it. You can use watercolor on it. And so I do also work on Legion's uh, Rising Museum board. Um, that's I saw a, that on your materials list. Okay. Yeah, that's another you. one that yeah. I discovered during this experimentation period. And there are some drawings yeah. that are better suited for a smoother surface. Um, oh. And I have ma made the mistake a few times of choosing the sanded paper over the museum board when um, really I needed something a little bit smoother to get the level of detail that I was hoping for. But you live in your garden. What makes the difference? Is it mostly the texture of the subject? Yeah, so um, okay. the artichoke draw. I have a drawing of artichokes and lemons, and there's yeah. a few artichokes that are sliced down the middle, so you can see all of those layers on the inside. And I, um, I made two mistakes. One is that the drawing is a little too small to include the amount of detail that I was hoping to include. Um, and then the second is I did that one on the sanded paper, so to get a very sharp, mm. fine line on the sanded paper takes so much effort, and you almost. I just. I wish I had done it on the. The museum board, yeah. Yeah, well, I got to, I'll admit to you, it's very challenging for me the few times that I've tried the Mutant's Touch. So maybe I didn't push it far enough. Uh, what what uh, pencils are you using? A Prismacolor Premier, I'm presuming? With, I do use Prismacolor Premier, Premier. I also use um, the Carandosh Luminance, which is definitely yep. my favorite line. They have, okay. um, they go, you know, they're similar in terms of the way yep. that they go onto the page, but the right. um, the Luminance... The quality is just unmatched in terms of what oh, I've yeah. seen. Right. Um, I do sometimes use Pablo. 
Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, those are mainly the three that I use. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you're building up a whole bunch of layers. So you're getting to that point where, you know, can we use the term burnishing? I guess. I mean, you're getting to that point where it's like this critical mass of pigment buildup on that surface. And then it becomes a little bit easier, right, to get some crisp lines once you've got enough pigment on there, right? I think it does. I have to I, try that paper again. You're 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 making me want to try that paper. You again, should cause. because I discovered if I do a few drawings on the Legion um, Museum board, when I switch yeah. back to pastel paper, I always think like, "What was I thinking? Why would I ever draw on sanded pastel paper? This takes forever. It's really hard." <laughs> but <laughs> if you if you give it enough of a chance. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. If you get enough layers on to where yeah. you're starting to fill in that grain and you're not seeing the paper right. anymore, it starts to look smooth. Um, yeah. That's when the beauty starts to come out. And then you can really work the values and the colors. And um, there's just a lot of freedom in using it. But you do have to get past that point of, mm-hmm. you know, the first five layers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it just... It uncontrollable graininess and it, it yeah to me I don't know I'm gonna have to try it again try it yeah and try <laughs> it um, give it a a real big chance you know like really yeah. get get that whole drawing done before you decide <laughs> I know you've you've done a lot of different sizes mm-hmm. um, but you've you've done a lot that are pretty small um, it let's let's talk about I'm I'm trying to get to the time involved sure. with something like this so. Um, what would you say is a kind of a, a common or a more popular size, like on one side, eight inches, 10 inches or? Yeah. Something in eight to 10 inches. Something like that? Yeah. Okay. So how long does it take you to create on the Mitant's, uh, touch paper, like something that's around 10 inches? Yeah. So if it's like eight by 10, it's usually around 50 hours, I would say. 50 hours yeah with a minimal background 50 hours yeah okay i i'm almost embarrassed to admit that but um (laughs) why there's something that i think there's something beautiful in like spending that much time on a single object and that's what i hope comes through in my work yeah yeah right no i i think it does i'm guys if you've not seen megan sider's work then you're in for a real treat and if you're over in member circle, you're able to see the video version and I'll be flashing up some of her work while we're talking here. So uh, it's just incredible. Um, I remember the first time that I, I mean, I saw your work long time ago. I, I remember uh, maybe 2013 or something like that. Uh, but then I sort of was reintroduced to you and it must have been the time that you decided to put your head down and just start getting a lot of work done. Right. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, the way that she is handling the gradations. I mean, the edges matter as well. You've got very crisp, uh, hard edges, but then the gradations and form shadows are just incredible. You can tell, or I can tell, that you spend a lot of time developing those subtle, very subtle transitions. And I, I know that's that's something that when... A non-artist looks at that, they're not recognizing and they're not appreciating all the effort that goes into something like that. Do you use solvent? I don't use solvent. I used it on one drawing um, back in the day, probably like 2012. And um, it, I didn't dislike it. I just, it was very Mm -hmm. painterly to me, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, there is some getting used to like sliding around the, uh, the pigment, you know, and it does sort of change the texture of the paper. Uh, not in a bad way, but yeah, I've tried solvent. Mm-hmm. I've tried the brush and pencil um, blender. Is that what it's called? Powder blender. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is yeah. also very interesting. Um, also changes the texture. Um, so yeah, I've I've tried a whole bunch of things and keep just keep coming back to my, you know, my two papers and my two, two brands of pencils. <laughs> Um, Pablo, luminance. Um, did you say polychromos? Do you use polychromos? I have polychromos. Actually, a lot of the shadows that you see, if there's like a vase with flowers and there's a cast shadow, I use the polychromos uh-huh. for that because I find them to be almost more like pastels. They're super blendable. Yeah. And I usually use Very a blending fluid. stick yeah. to kind of create that uh-huh. smooth shadow. Um, really? Yeah. So um, although lately I've I've switched over to using pan pastels, which... Um, yeah, that's what I use to create the very smooth gradation in the background of my more recent drawings. Okay. So 
I did notice a lot of that more recently that you've got pan pastels as a part of what the mixed media is on many of your pieces. Yeah. So then we've got a little bit of polychromos, but pan pastel, we've got luminance, Pablo, and Prismacolor Premier. You're still using a little bit, right? Yes. Yep. And you're using this blending stick. What is that? What what are you using? Like a tortillion. And I only use those with the polychromos because they don't really do much if you're using like uh, Prismacolors or luminance. What kind of eraser do you use? Uh, I use a kneadable eraser, and then I have a Tombow, um, just a fine point eraser. That, mono zero? Yep. Yeah, yeah, which um, okay. is really helpful, especially I've done a few drawings where I apply the pen pastel to the whole page, and then I erase mm-hmm. out the subject matter. Um, mm. So I use that Tombow uh, eraser to get the kind of crisp edges of the subject, and then I use the kneadable oh. eraser to erase out the middle. Um, but I also use the kneadable eraser to kind of press on the drawing to lift a few of the top layers if I've kind of gone in the wrong direction. Um, uh, so that's really helpful. Oh, so you make mistakes once in a while? I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Guys, the reason why I made that little joke is because her work looks so flawless. I mean, it really does. Thank you. So, and I'm sure you get this a lot. It was one of the questions that came up over in Member Circle. It has to do with, you know, what's your response to people when they say, oh, it looks just like a photo. And I'm sure you get that. It's so just precise and and flawless looking. It's like every little stroke was probably planned out is what it looks like. How do you answer that? I mean, you, you get that from people from time to time, I'm sure. Like, I do. This looks like a photo. What, yeah. uh, when it's a compliment, you know, from a non-artist, I, I get it. How do you answer that most of the time? Yeah, I if, don't take offense usually to people saying this looks like a photo because usually they just mean that that's a nice yeah. level of realism that you've achieved. Right. And I, so, you right. know, hopefully sure. that's what they mean. But I think, again, it goes back to, um, so when I was at Micah, I had one teacher who taught me something really beautiful. It wasn't necessarily a realism class, but hit, that kind of was his specialty. And he did a lot of portraits yeah. and figures. And he said, really pay attention to the curve, the specific curve of the line. He was talking about a figure, uh, like we ha- we were doing a figure drawing session. So like mm-hmm. the specific curve of her, you know, her elbow up to her, yeah. you know, the the outline, it really makes a difference if you just do one quick line or if you really pay attention to what you're seeing. So it's the same, I think, with um, fruit and flowers. If you really look at what you're drawing and pay attention to the mm-hmm. curve of the line and the unexpected details, that's where the beauty is, is, um, yeah, there is a photo that you could take and you could just sell your art as a photo, but there's another level that you take it to when you really explore the subject that you're drawing and you explore all of the curves and all of the um, colors and the sort of unexpected movement or the unexpected, you know, mm-hmm what's the stem you know i don't know i think there's something you just take it to another level when you give something that much attention and that much focus that's interesting that's i don't know if that totally answers the question but i think that people will look at something in a different way if they know that there's an artist that spent a hundred hours rendering that subject versus an artist that took a 20 hours snapshot 20 hours whatever five hours (laughs) right right sure at the core of it when I was learning to draw, I had a um, one of my mom's friends way back in the day, I must have been like 12 years old, was showing okay. me how to draw a portrait. And, yeah. um, you know, most eyes kind of have an almond shape when you look at them straight, when you look at yeah. a face straight on. And she was doing right. a portrait view of someone and she showed me that the eye, you know, it's not like a Picasso where the eye is looking at you and then the rest <laughs> of the head is turned. She showed right. me how to actually look at what I was um, drawing instead of mm. thinking about what it should look like. So I think mm-hmm. that that's kind of where I'm getting at is there's a beauty in seeing what you're actually looking at instead of thinking about what that typical object looks like and then drawing it. Like an apple, we all yeah. know what an apple yeah. looks like. We can all sort of draw an apple, but every specific apple has like a little indentation or an unexpected color or, a you know, yeah. Yeah, the outline of of the apple, but I, I don't think that's the focus sure. of my work. But it is something that I pay attention to while I'm rendering the drawing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. When I look at your work, I think there is a strong attention to the composition. There's enough room to enjoy the subject matter. There's not a crowded space. I, I don't feel confined, and I don't have a busy background interfering with the composition 
I'm free to enjoy it and to look around. And it's beautifully expressed in these soft, subtle gradations. And then the lighting, there's some impeccable attention to the lighting uh, is what I'm seeing. Yeah. And so, and I do want to talk about that for a little bit uh, before we move on from materials, though. Do you have anything to say about pencil sharpeners? Do you use a knife or what? Yeah, what they're do do? so important. That's one thing I discovered yeah. early on, too, is especially with Prismacolors, which tend to have a lot of breakage, you know, um, yeah. if you have yeah. the wrong sharpener, you could just sharpen the whole pencil away. So I, right. used, <laughs> I use the um, KUM, K-U-M, little handheld yeah. sharpeners. Um, because you have control, you can kind of feel the pencil in the sharpener and you can feel if it's breaking and you can kind of uh, twist it, but you also can get a very fine point and um, you can replace the blades. So those are the most important things to use. Not what I thought you would say. Oh, okay, no. oh, very interesting. What did you think I would say? <laughs> I don't like those, but you like them and I've heard others that, that like them a lot too, yeah. because you can't keep that point very long. I mean, it's gone in a you know a couple minutes. I mean, it is gone. So uh, that's interesting. I sharpen constantly, but I yeah. haven't. Well, you would have to if you're using that boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every, okay. Yeah. That's I, interesting. I, I like the, um, it gets you a very fine point and the fine point does disappear. I've, um, I've started doing videos. I'm sort of at the very beginning of making video tutorials and I've so noticed good, that yeah. I twist my pencil while I'm drawing to keep that point as long as possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So just slight little rotation. Exactly. To, uh, to keep that point. Yep. yep. So, and then the angle of the pencil, too, exactly. uh, helps a little bit as yeah. well. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, not what I thought you would say. Listen to that, guys. So very, very interesting. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about lighting, shall yeah, we? Yeah, that's maybe the most important thing in the whole part of the process yeah. is getting the lighting right and getting a really good reference photo. What does the lighting right mean? So let's talk about this. Yeah. How do you get this lighting? Um, it's all natural lighting. I've tried. Um, mm -hmm. I'm so fortunate that my husband was a photojournalist major in school before he switched over to um, cooking and becoming a chef. So he knows okay. about cameras and he's taught me about cameras gotcha. and it's made a huge difference. And I still know the minimal amount, I will admit. When I'm doing my photo shoots, I end up taking hundreds of photos because Sometimes it's the unexpected ones that you didn't mean to take that turned out yeah. to be the most beautiful. Um, right. But, you know, I'm just constantly slightly tweaking the settings in the camera um, and mm -hmm. slightly tweaking. Um, so I, I always do my setup in front of a window and I have a curtain okay. that I can pull. I have glassine that I can put on the window to create soft light instead of having a direct light from the sun with cast shadows. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Glassine. So you use a sheet of glassine? Window. Yeah, I just okay. tape it right on okay. the window. Um, you could use a huh. diffuser if you have one, but, you know, a lot yeah, of people yeah. don't just have a diffuser sitting around. So, yeah, you just tape a piece of glassine to the window and it turns into soft light. <laughs> what artist doesn't have exactly. glassine? Yep. So, there you go. Yep. Okay. I usually, so, you could use tracing paper. That'd be cheaper, right? You could use tracing Something paper. Like it does the same thing. Yep. As long as your sheets yeah, are yeah. big enough um, to cover the right. window. I use uh, yeah. just a giant white mat board behind my subject. Um Oh, the backlight yep, a little bit. Yep. And um, I sometimes I have a white and a black mat board that I use to bounce light a little bit, which again, I, I've i learned how to do it, but I, I had no photography skills. So I think you can do it without photography skills. Just look at what you're um, trying to achieve. And if you use a black mat board um, and sort of, uh, you can sort of dim mm -hmm. the light on the, the side that has the shadow, or if you use a white mat board, holding it up next to your subject matter, you can get a little sure. bit of extra light on the side that has the shadow so that you can kind of see a little bit more of what's going on. So it's just a lot of experimentation. But um, I think the key for me is that natural light and catching it at the right time of day, depending on the um, the mood that you're trying to establish. Well, that does seem to be uh, sort of a consistent theme is I see that soft light. I mean, you've got some harsh light in there as well once in a while, but not very often. So you're talking about the right light. You're talking about a light that you're looking for. You're looking for this soft light that you want. And I mean, it's like one of the ones I'm looking at is Revival. Yeah. Uh, looks like it's done on a dark background, I'm guessing. Yeah, on Legion, hope. on a Black okay. Legion museum board. There's some others that are... Uh, they just have the, that same kind of signature light that I see on your work. You just know it when you see it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, like I think so. Right? There's yeah. um, there's one drawing that I have called Imagine, and it's two flowers with a black background. 
um, one flower is kind of dark and purpley and the other flower is yeah. white and they both come from the same stem. They were growing from the same stem, which I thought was incredibly beautiful. Oh, wow. And it was yeah. really hard to capture those flowers. I kept um, struggling with the photo shoot. Uh, and I think the problem was that I was using a white mat board behind them. And once I realized that um, they would look better with a black background, I switched out the mat board and kind of lowered the mm -hmm. light settings on my camera. It just, mm -hmm. it took a long time of tweaking. So it doesn't always come naturally. Sometimes it's kind of a struggle to uh, get the look that I'm uh, trying to achieve. But yeah, yeah. just changing the different, um, the quality mm -hmm. of the light, uh, the background, the map board in the background, um, the settings on my camera. It's a lot of tinkering, but it, it makes a difference mm -hmm. in the end because if, if you have a beautiful reference photo, you know, it's realism. So that's, that's the way to go. It, it helps, doesn't it? It helps so much yeah. to take the time to get the right photo references. Otherwise, oh my goodness, you're just making up stuff. It's so difficult and you've created more work for yourself. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. All right. So there was a few questions, Megan, that came in over in member circle. And let me just make sure that we've hit all of these from Kendra. She's asking about precise details. So it just talks about the pencils and we talked about that and the beautifully smooth background. So You've switched over to pan pastel for a lot of the background. Is that is that I have. Correct? It's a huge okay. time saver and it creates yeah. just such a beautiful gradient. It does take a little bit of time. Yeah. But I just use um they make their own brand of art sponges that you can sort of dip into mm -hmm. the pan pastel and right. rub onto your paper. And again, um, because especially if you're working with a sanded pastel paper, it takes a lot of layers before mm -hmm. you start to get that smooth, pure color. Um, yeah. And then I just really work uh, the areas where the dark meets the light, that gradation. Um, I'm just very careful about it. One trick I found is if you um, rotate your paper, you'll see the uh, the areas where you've made strokes where you might not have seen, um, you know, a, a slight error in that smooth gradation. Okay. Yeah. So I usually I flip okay. my paper all four ways while I'm using the pan pastels just to make sure everything is perfectly smooth. That's just to make sure you're seeing that gradient the way that you want to. Exactly. Huh? Something yeah. like that. Okay. Yeah. Do you also find, though, that those soft tools that Pan Pastel makes, they, they kind of get torn up a little bit as you're using them on a non-absorbent surface like this sanded paper? Yeah. Um, you get those little granulars of, you know, of the of the sponge that start, yeah. the granules of the sponge that start peeling off, you know, yeah. and they start they crumbling. And, yeah. Yeah. What do you do about so, that? Um, I think everything that I do, I have a really light touch. So I'm not pressing the sponge um, really into the paper yeah. and dragging it across. Yeah. I it I just right. do a lot of light layers. So the sponges do last quite a while before that starts happening. Um, and in between, if you just take um, a paper towel and sort of rub the pigment from that soft uh, sponge onto the paper towel, you can go from like black to white, uh, you know, because mm -hmm. it'll completely rub off. But I think mm -hmm. everything that I do, I just use a light touch so that it's not really like dragging across, creating those yeah. sort of. You're not pressing your finger into right, it. Right, right. It's just a light <laughs> touch. I mean, I'm really pressing, yeah. but it's just a light, smooth touch. So they tend to last uh, long enough to make it worthwhile, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Are you spraying your work? And if so, do you have any problems with the pan pastel? Uh, color shifting or anything, you know, not adhering the way you want it to? Or? Yes. So I, um, when I started using pan pastel, I thought I had to use fixative because it's pastel and the pastel will shift. And I do ship my work to, you know, galleries and collectors and things like that. And especially during shipment, you don't want it to shift and then something to smudge. Right. And especially if it's framed, you don't want that with like a white mat. So um, right. it, it took a few drawings before... Um, the can sort of spit, you know, and left little speckles all over the drawing. Have you had that? Oh, the fix. What were you using? Was there a fixative you decided you didn't like, um, or did you go to a different one? Or I tried what? a different one. I, I, I don't know if it was my technique, you know, but for whatever reason, because that happened and I had to go back into the drawing and smooth everything out and it took hours and it was um, sort yeah. of disheartening because it was one of the pieces that I had spent probably like 80 hours on. 
um, I started researching what pastel artists do and I discovered Mm -hmm. um, Daniel Massad is just one of, has been a favorite artist of mine for the longest time. He's a pastel artist, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. highest level of realism and just a really Mm -hmm. soft touch. And so I, um, it's sort of his technique that I've stolen. So I apply the pastel Mm -hmm. um, and then I will put my drawing I'll tape it onto a drawing board and hold the board upside down so that the pastel, the drawing is facing the floor and slap the back yeah. of the drawing so that any extra <laughs> um, pastel that's on there will fall off. And that's enough. That sounds brutal. It, it does sound okay. brutal, but um, <laughs> it it makes it so that the drawing is clean enough and you can, you can frame it and you can ship it. And I haven't had any issues with the pastel because I don't want to take that chance that the fixative will spit or that it'll change the color, you know, anything like that. So... No fixative, just no like fixative. I'm going to make sure that this adheres. See, and pan pastel has a tendency to adhere to the surface, exactly. unlike soft pastels or even pastel pencils or anything. Yeah, it's really great. That's, yeah. 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 And it works so well with colored pencil as well. It's beautiful, beautiful combination. The next question uh, that I had over here in the member circle community, Megan, what did she use? This is very specific. What did she use for the artichokes? That was on Tansen Metian's Touch sanded pastel paper. Um, okay. It was a slightly green color. Maybe it's called like sky gray or something like that. Oh, um, okay. I like to work on toned papers because it's not quite as hard to fill in the grain of the paper when you're trying to get those really dark darks, um, but the lights still really pop. So most of what I work on is some kind of mid-tone paper. Sure. For that one, I used Prismacolor and Luminance um, for the most part. Okay. And the background is done with Pan Pastel. Awesome. Uh, smooth, flat background colors in her work. We talked about that. And what about these sharp lines that you have in your work once in a while? How does she uh, get such a straight, sharp line? Anything you want to say about yeah, that? Yeah. So if I'm using pan pastel, I've started working with frisket film. So I very carefully, um, I do my sketch and then I trace that sketch onto frisket film. If you're using a matte film, you can draw directly on the film. Um, It doesn't work with a glossy Mm -hmm. film. Uh, And then very carefully cut it out with an X-Acto knife. And it's a a really low-tack, clear film that you can put on your drawing. So I Mm -hmm. basically cut out the subject matter, cover that area, and then I go in with the pan pastel and you can just... You can go right over it with your sponge. It's not going to do anything. And then when you peel off the frisket, on the frisket, on the frisket film, about. yeah, yeah. When you peel off to the create that film, edge, right yeah, there. you're left with yeah. a nice crisp edge. You do sometimes right. get a little bit of excess pastel where the edge um, of the frisket film was, and you can just kind of um, brush that away, you know. But make sure to tend to yeah. it because it will mix in with your pencils, and you can kind of gotcha. destroy yeah. the whites. If you think about all the things you know now. You've been working in the medium for quite some time. You used a mixed media approach with colored pencil. What is the best advice that you could give somebody starting in colored pencil today? If their goal is realism in colored pencil, the best advice would be to start slow and get to know the medium because it is different than graphite and uh, charcoal. It's its own specific thing. So start in black and white, start with simple subjects. And get to know the like waxy quality of the pencils or whatever pencil brand you choose. Try a few different brands and a few different papers because every colored pencil artist is going to have a preference. And there's beautiful work that can be created with almost any high quality brand of pencil and paper combination. But you've got to find what works for you. And then another thing I would say that's so important is to pay attention to your values. A lot of the work that I see of artists that are struggling don't have a full range of values. Their darks aren't dark enough. Their whites aren't bright enough. And that makes a huge difference in realism. And another little trick is if you're working from a photo, which I think a lot of colored pencil artists tend to do. I don't know if Mm -hmm. that's not a true blanket statement, but try flipping your drawing upside down so that you can... um, sort of see where your mistakes are coming through it'll it'll take you away from looking at the object as whatever object it is and it'll sort of abstract that object so that you can just look at Mm. the composition of whatever it is and you'll see some errors that you've made so flip it upside down turn it sideways um, that really helps what's the plans for the future have you had solo shows i haven't had any solo shows with your work um i'm fortunate that the galleries that i work with 
are able to sell my work fairly quickly. So I, I have mm-hmm. not um, been able to build up a large enough body of work to have a solo show. Um, I do have a six person drawing show that I'm participating um, coming up nice. this winter. Yeah. So. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. That's exciting. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I don't know that I, that a solo show would be the goal because I would have to hang on to so many. I mean, it would just take me so long and hang yeah. on to so many drawings. So what are some of your uh, longer range goals? What, what are you trying to, to do? They're, um, I think they're more internal goals as, as far as pushing myself to, um, okay. to learn more about the medium, to become more, mm. um, efficient and more technically proficient to just discover everything that I can about drawing. Mm-hmm. There's always room to improve. And when you get, mm-hmm. get to the next level of realism or you're able to render a color in a certain way there's some sense of achievement that you get that i haven't felt in other areas of my life like it's just there's a very specific sort of satisfaction that comes with achieving those goals so it's all just to continue learning to continue exploring um nice i in terms of i think i'm happy to just keep creating i don't have any like i don't need a solo show i don't there's no specific mm-hmm. outward goals like that. I just to continue loving what I'm doing and selling and sharing my work. Are you wanting to get faster? I mean, if if you found a technique where you don't sacrifice quality, is that interesting to you? Oh, I yeah. mean, is that something you want? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it it is a hindrance of the amount of time that it takes, but there's also a joy that comes in and not worrying about how much time I'm taking, like the pieces that have right. um, just allowed myself to obsess over the details and the gradations. Those are my favorite drawings when there's no objective other than just to make exactly what I want to make. Those turn out the best. There's a level of quality that will come with the amount of time that I spent. And if there is some right. way to speed that up, which Pen Pastel has done for me in the backgrounds, like the speed of those versus the colored pencils is amazing. Um, but yeah, yeah, to continue yeah. to explore and, and find um, little ways to improve my work. Awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, Megan, I'm sure we could talk on and on and on. And there's some other questions that are actually coming to my mind, but I want to be respectful of your time. And uh, we're going to go ahead and say goodbye. Oh, well, thanks so much. So thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Really great to talk to you. Guys, if you've not left a rating or a review for the show, you could do that over on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, uh, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. I would appreciate that. This show comes out, oh, a couple, maybe three times a month. I get the question often, do you have a Patreon channel? I've got something better than that. It's called Members Circle. So for those of you over there in Members Circle, I appreciate you so much, and if you want to support the show, that's what you do. You become a part of the Member Circle community inside Monthly Sharpener. You can email podcast at sharpenedartist.com, and we'll talk to you again next time. Until then, take care and stay sharp. Bye-bye.